Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. You're listening to Queers a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 20th of September, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about putting theory into practice as Australians campaign for the yes vote in the postal survey on same-sex marriage. But first, we have some exciting news. We have signed on to a podcast network. You might have noticed the new audio stinger at the beginning of the episode. We've joined Earbuds, a new podcast network based in Melbourne they launched just a few months ago. There are heaps of other great shows already on the network, like Bunta Vista Socialist Club, Quickie, and Hunting Seasons, and we hope joining will be a way for us to keep improving the podcast and getting the word out. Definitely check out the other Earbuds shows, and we're sure we'll have more news for you about this in the future. Now, back to the topic at hand, the postal vote on same-sex marriage. The campaign is in full swing on both sides, as many Australians have already received their ballots in the mail, asking the question, should the law be changed to allow same-sex couples to marry? The issue is dominating the headlines, having quickly become the biggest public campaign on an LGBTI issue in Australia in our lifetimes. But given how long we've been talking about this, is the campaign what we expected? Is this damaging, divisive debate many feared? or an unprecedented opportunity to tackle homophobia in society head-on. Are we seeing Australia at its worst, or at its best? Simon, let's dive right in. I know both of us have been pretty open about voting yes, but given our criticisms of marriage, did you ever consider boycotting or even voting no? No, I certainly hadn't. Um, I think maybe if you had asked me like five years ago about this, I would have potentially considered voting no in a sort of radical, like, marriage is so evil that even stopping us from getting into marriage is actually a good thing in the long run. But I've changed my position on that. Um, and so, no, I haven't considered boycotting and I haven't considered voting no. And I've been quite proactive in my campaigning for yes, even in a way that's even surprised me um, in how much I've put energy into this, I guess. The reason, In, in what ways? Well, uh, so I've been going down through my workplace and getting a whole bunch of people to put up uh, yes posters in their windows, which has been really nice. I did some door knocking on the weekend, uh, which I haven't done in a long time. I did some phone banking uh, earlier. I was going to go phone banking tonight, but I'm a little bit like exhausted, so I'm not going to do that. But, you know, so I've been actively, actively getting involved in the campaign, which... I sort of hadn't expected that I would do, but the moment it sort of started to come around, I was like, actually, I want to do this. The reason behind that is is twofold. Uh, so the first of all, I think the reason I have decided clearly to vote yes is I think even though I have a lot of criticisms of marriage as an institution, I think when the opportunity is put in front of you, when you have a ballot paper, increasing equality in, in state institutions is always the right decision to make. Uh, so even though I have have criticisms of the campaign and I have criticisms of the direction of the uh, queer movement in terms of deciding that same-sex marriage is such a goal, 
Given we've got to this stage, I think voting yes makes total sense. I've become more active in the campaign uh, because I think the plebiscite has become much bigger than the issue of marriage itself. This has become about homophobia in Australian society, and so it's become much bigger than the question of marriage, and I think that in doing so, it's actually really important that we have a really strong yes vote, because I think that a, a no vote or a really close yes vote could actually be quite detrimental to a whole range of other issues that we're talking about, and thinking about things like safe schools or uh, sex education, you know, um, Lyle Shelton even brought out the, the question of gay conversion therapy recently, all of that kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that could rear its ugly head if we have a no vote in this in this plebiscite. I think a no vote will really embolden the right. Uh, I think that it could be quite dangerous um, and quite damaging. So I think that a really strong yes vote is actually really important. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree. I haven't done uh, much campaigning so far, but I'm going door knocking this weekend, which I'm actually, you know, nervous slash excited about. Um, with a straight friend, actually, which will be oh, particularly nice. Well, I kind of, you know, I, I, aside from the fact that I don't think my partner would be particularly into it, I didn't want to stand in front of people and have them basically assume that I'm saying, you know, vote yes so that I can get married and then say I don't actually want to get married. I didn't want to be, like, flat out lying to people or feeling like I, I would be pressured to. I totally understand that. This might be kind of an unpopular thing to say, but... I think in a lot of ways what you were the way you were kind of talking about the the risks of emboldening the right and the how broad this campaign is becoming kind of highlights to me the fact that in some ways it feels like it's not even really about queer people I mean the kind of impacts of this and the the like the risks of this this is an opportunity to like the opportunity and the risk are both in the attitudes of like uh, to use a crappy term broader Australia in terms of how they view LGBTI communities and queer communities and I think that that's kind of what's got me motivated that the prospect of being able to go and just talk to people who never think about these things maybe know a queer person maybe don't but be able to kind of go this is something that you should be thinking about this is something that you should have a view on and that you should be compassionate about and that should bring out your empathy I think that's what this is an opportunity to do yeah I think that's actually one of the biggest positives that uh, a plebiscite has, and it's one of the biggest positives I'm seeing from the plebiscite itself. To just give a little bit of background to you, I've never been opposed to the idea of a plebiscite, despite all of the opposition to I it. Know. I've never been opposed to the idea of a plebiscite. And right from back, like, I remember writing something, like, in 2013 or 14, when there was this was still being... It was, it was, like, the early suggestions of this idea... And I remember writing a piece being like, actually, this sounds like a great idea. The reason I think that is because I believe exactly what you're saying is that by having a national vote on the issue, we're forcing people to think about the issue and in turn to take a position on it and to think about the lives of queer people and to think about the rights of queer people and to think about all of those things that underpin that. And so what we're seeing now is two months of national debate on queer issues and I think actually having two months of debate is really valuable because at the start, you know, we've talked about marriage, but it's already expanding to a whole range of discussion about a whole range of queer issues. And we're seeing also debate within the queer community about how we should be having these debates and about what this should all be about. And I think that that totally. is... And more than I was expecting. Yeah, and it's only really just started. Like, we still have quite a bit of time for that to occur. And so I think that that's all a really positive thing. What I've been thinking about is that plebiscite forces people to take a stand, uh, but forces people to think about it, and that, you know, most of the people, you know, if all the polling is correct, most people are, are in support. Uh, you know, we're looking at like 65 to 70% of people are supporting this. 
But what you're seeing is that people who might not have put a rainbow poster on their door, for example, in any other time are now doing that because they're being forced to take a stand. Or people who might not put a Facebook post up saying, I'm voting yes, or I support same-sex marriage, are now putting up a, a post saying, I'm voting yes. And there is lots of great examples of that coming through, where people who you might not expect to be doing these sorts of things are, are coming out and supporting queer communities. And I think that's actually a really valuable thing, and I think it's an undervalued valuable thing that is occurring in this debate uh and i think that is something that's going to have a long-term impact that i think could actually be quite positive for, for, both, for both queer communities and for the community as a whole um, and i think that's a really important thing to be talking about yeah i don't know if i would say that it's undervalued i think that where this where we run into an issue in terms of attitudes towards the to, towards the postal vote and towards the idea of a plebiscite generally from queer communities is that that's kind of seen as something that's that needs to be kind of weighed up against the you know quote kind of harms that are being done by the campaign you know that they that most of the discourse around the postal vote has been from people saying this will expose us to homophobia and you know i i suppose this kind of leads for me into the question of like is, is that a I don't know, is that a valid concern? Is that something that can or should be weighed up against the positives that you're talking about? Because I completely agree. I mean, I've, I've seen more, in the sense that I've seen more public support and open support for just LGBTI people in Australia generally than I have, again, you know, in my lifetime. I think that there are some genuine valid concerns, and I really, really am cautious not to downplay those concerns, and I suspect you would be the same in doing so. I'm probably more inclined to have a tendency to maybe downplay those concerns than maybe someone like you would, so uh, that's why I like I try to put myself into that position very clearly before I, before I answer your question. Um, but I'd be really interested, actually, to hear your thoughts, because I think we might might, you know, have a slightly different perspective on this. I'm not sure. I think, uh, yes, there's generally valid concerns and some of the stuff has been really awful. Like, I cannot deny that. And it's really very clear that there are people who are struggling, uh, who are finding this very, very difficult. And I'm quite in a privileged position in that for some reason I'm not. And I don't know why that what that is about me, that's, that, that for some reason I'm not. I'm not finding it that difficult at all. However, at the same time, what I would argue, I guess, is I actually think that in many ways having this homophobia come to the surface from a minority of our community, I think, is actually a valuable thing in and of itself. It's a difficult... So, and when you say our community, you mean the, the Australian community? Sorry, the Australian community. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, I meant, yeah, not the queer community, obviously. Um, I think it's... Having, you know, understanding that, so there's, you know, I, I would say that there's a minority of people in Australia who still have quite entrenched homophobic homophobic views, but they're still a minority that's quite vocal, uh, and they're a minority that has an impact in particular parts of the country, and in turn can have an impact on queer people in particular parts of the country. And it's those queer people that people have been very concerned about, naturally, and I'm concerned about as well. I think there's value in those voices rising to the surface, because it highlights the reality that still exists in our country, and highlights a reality that people have been saying still exists in our country, but sort of gets downplayed in many ways because it's not at the surface as much anymore. And it gives us the opportunity to say, well, to, to almost to, to identify where the, the amount of homophobia there is there, the, the amount that it is there in some of the biggest institutions in our country, in particular in our government, and to be able to then try and tackle it. Uh, and to have a better capacity to tackle it because we can see it, we can name it, we can shame it, we can do whatever we want with it. I God, think that reminds me of a like a a tweet I saw the other day of someone saying that they wished 
no, I think it was like a genuine call out looking for a lawyer who would be willing to like lead a class action lawsuit against the Australian government on behalf of queer Australians for the kind of harms that the the postal vote is causing. And I saw this and I'm just like, what is this? I mean, like I, on some level, I'm kind of all for, you know, government reparations, financial reparations to queer people for the trauma that we've, that we experience and have experienced. But like, what a bizarre thing to kind of confine it to this postal vote as if like this is the thing that has created the homophobia in society it's like i have experienced homophobia my entire life i live in a homophobic society i live or at least a heteronormative one if you want reparations for how awful it can be to be queer like let's talk you know forever let's talk the the entire time we've been alive yeah and there's been like this perspective almost that the plebiscite will unleash this hate on queer people as if that doesn't exist already or hasn't existed i think there is an interesting question i'm just like trying to hold lots of different things in my head because i feel like as you were talking I, i was thinking about a lot of different things i think there is an interesting question here about whether or not this is creating homophobia or not i think for the most part no it's not it's kind of bringing out stuff that's already there but i don't know i'm 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 willing to not completely dismiss out of hand the idea that this is exacerbating things in some way. I potentially agree. I don't think I want to discount the idea that this might be elevating some homophobia or creating some homophobia that didn't exist, or potentially even that what it's doing because of the debate, it's taking some people who had these views and sort of like taking it, they're taking it to the next level because they feel like that that's how they have to win is to take it to that next level. And so in taking it to the next level, that sort of, you know, makes the homophobia worse. Even if that's the case, however... I think that that is being counteracted by this other massive swing of people who would not normally be coming out in support of LGBTI people, that that swing almost counteracts against this sort of upsurge in homophobia. Sure, it's hard sure. to measure that, and it's really hard to of know. Course, yeah. I still feel like watching this debate that the, the positives are starting to, to outweigh the negatives, and I think that in the long run, I hope that they can have a real impact. To go back to, to what you were saying about this idea that there is a, a small but potentially vocal minority within Australia who is who is homophobic in, in these ways and that that's bringing this out. I feel like it's kind of broader than that as well. Like, I am always reluctant to locate any anything like homophobia, racism, you know, misogyny, anything like that within particular people, specific people. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like what, to me, what this is doing more is kind of exposing that in a broad sense, there is homophobia in Australia. And in a broad sense, this is a, a, a homophobia homophobic country and I and I don't mean that in a Australia is specifically homophobic but I I think that there is a lot of kind of homophobia here that's kind of most of it probably is latent probably all of us including certainly most queer people I think carry a lot of that inside of ourselves and to be forced to kind of confront this thing that's bubbling along beneath the surface I th- I think whether we acknowledge it or not it affects us having to kind of con- like it is confronting having to kind of see that all of a sudden but uh, I agree with you, I think potentially productive. I also come from that same privileged position and it's something I've thought about a lot as to why I don't, why I just haven't been upset by the campaign. I mean, I've been upset. I feel like I'm often upset more, not just in this, but any kind of public debate or community debate around queer stuff. I'm often upset more at queers attacking each other or having a go at each other than 
I am, which is funny given what we what our podcast often is. Um, <laughs> then <laughs> this may be unfair. Then I am by like I don't know, like Lyle Shelton. I feel like he can say whatever he wants about me. Like I, I, I'm just, just never gonna, care. I'm never gonna take that seriously. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, maybe I should more. I don't know. No, I kind of agree. I, I, someone like him, I can fog off. Like, and I think that that's and someone you know, I've been able to do that for a long time, and maybe that's a learnt behaviour to be able to sort of go. Well, let's just Lyle Shelton being Lyle Shelton. You know, that's just Corey Bernardi being Corey Bernardi or uh, George Christensen being George Christensen or whatever. Whoever those people are, they mean nothing to me. They're strangers, you know, and, and I don't really care about them. I had a friend who made a comment something like, you know, why are we spending so much time worrying about random strangers screaming homophobia when there are people in our community who are standing up and saying positive things and being supportive? I think that the more, the potentially more damaging part of this is not the the strangers, you know, the Lyle Sheltons of the world. It's the, uh, it might be the, you know, the figuring out your parents are voting no or the f- yeah, to find yeah. out that your friends are voting no. Or your neighbours. Exactly, or... exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, your work colleagues or your boss or, or, or that kind of stuff. And I think that that stuff is a bit more difficult to deal with. And it's, I think there's a real potential that there's a difficulty of dealing with that in such a public way because you, you may have had an inkling that that person was, you know, had some of those tendencies, but it's when you're sort of, the public debate is forced that that comes out. But I still return to the idea that even though that's difficult, it's actually potentially very productive if we engage with it in a positive kind of way you know and i turn back to the idea that all the research suggests that the best way to tackle homophobia in a society at an interpersonal level is through interpersonal contact and having people you know having people know gay people and having you know your kids coming out and that changes parents yeah, opinions and all that kind of stuff and so if this forces some of those conversations it can actually result in that sort of longer term tr- change which i think is really valuable in you know in the long run and we can turn that 35 to 40 th- you know to 30 percent of people who aren't supporting same-sex marriage, which is just one statistic, you know, it doesn't actually give an image of what homophobia actually looks like in a society because it's, it's a very conservative institution. But, you know, you could turn that into, into something that's even lower by having more and more of these conversations. And, and that can only be a positive thing for me, even if it's difficult in the short term. I guess all of that is kind of with the proviso that people, particularly kind of vulnerable, I don't know, like, again, what does vulnerable even mean in this context? But that people who are forced to have those conversations and maybe aren't ready for them or aren't in a place where they can handle them have the support to do that and to get through that. I Certainly from everything I've seen, I think queers are doing a really good job for the most part of supporting each other. Mm. The kind of stuff that I worry about and I think I've seen quite a lot of... I thought about this a lot the other day when the the vote no skywriting appeared over Sydney. So, you know, I just kind of, you know, went out for breakfast on Sunday and it was in the sky. And I saw a lot of queers on social media, a particular kind of class of queers that I often perhaps unfairly sort of lump together, which is media queers, which is people who exist in this space. Look, this might just come off like a really, really unfair thing to say, so take it with like a lot of salt, but who exist in this space that is all about outrage, that is all about Mm -hmm. anger, that's all about stirring up, yeah, I don't know, outrage about anti-queer things or anti-LGBTI things, kind of saying things like, I shouldn't have to be exposed to this kind of homophobia, like I can't get away from this, it's literally written in the sky. Two things, first of all, how fucking privileged are you that you can get away with not being exposed to homophobia ever? 
I think that that's like such a bizarre position to take. And to me, a kind of unrealistic one. We, again, I feel like I've said it several times in this discussion, we live in a homophobic society. You are exposed to it every day. Secondly, somebody saying vote no in the sky to me is like almost like the most respectful way that you can engage with. I mean, it's bizarre and kind of silly, but like it's not, they're not saying anything bad. They're literally just saying vote no. For that to be interpreted as this kind of direct attack on queerness itself, to me, is, I don't know, just seems, like, weirdly disproportionate. Yeah, I think there's a couple of really interesting parts about that. I do remember seeing um, some people being like, great, now my brunch is ruined by the Yeah, exactly! I know, I know, (laughs) how good's that? How how lucky are you that you're out in Sydney having brunch, you know, with your friends and family, most likely? You are in a very privileged position, you know, to be doing that... You know, and as I say that as someone who has brunch quite regularly. Oh, yeah, um, tell me about it. <laughs> I was going out for brunch that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's not the end of the world. But I think that, I think there's an idea of queers potentially becoming very almost isolationist in a way. In a way, unwilling to tackle the homophobia. And I think this is something that I worry about in terms of this debate. It's the thing I worry about the most Mm. uh the sort of idea that we should all be protected from this homophobia it's actually too much for us to have to try and tackle it or to try and deal with it head on so for for example um so i've been doing a bunch of the door knocking and and um phone call and phone banking i've done heaps of it but i've started to do so and throughout the campaign they're very very clear on the idea that we're talking to yes voters and we're talking to yes voters with the intention of getting them to vote you know the the majority of people in australia vote a pro same sex marriage so the main aim is to get people who are pro same sex marriage to put their ballot paper into the post box i think it's a good strategy like it's it, it's a strategy that makes sense in terms of getting us to win but there's been a lot of discourse i've seen of like well, what happens if I get a no voter? Could, should I con- continue that conversation? And, we'll, and a lot of that response has been, well, we don't want you to put yourself through that, so don't continue that conversation. You know, you can shut that down. I appreci- which, which does make sense from a kind of duty of care perspective. I absolutely. Think campaign. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say, I think it makes sense in many ways, and there are particular people, you know, who, who can make that active decision not to do that, not to want to engage in that. And I'm not saying anybody has to engage in that conversation if you don't want to. If you don't want to, if you come across a no voter and you don't want to try and convince them to vote yes i'm not saying i'm not saying you have to do that it's your duty to do that do that now if you're not in that space and sometimes you might have a day when you're definitely in that space and you want to have that discussion and sometimes you're in the space where you don't want to have that discussion you can have both of those experiences and i probably will have both of those experiences along this period but the reality is yeah sorry i feel like i'm about to preempt what i think no no go for it and say it but the reality is that Difficult conversations are how things change. Like, things change when... Well, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, but it's like, you know, if there's pushback, it's probably because things are changing. And if we want to change things, we're going to get pushback. Exactly. And so, we have to be able to continue those difficult conversations so we can change things more. And what I really kind of fear is that what we'll have is a situation where we get to this plebiscite, you'll have a small portion of the population, you know, 30 35%. I keep bringing up that number just because it's based on the polling that feel ends up actually feeling very isolated. And, you know, in some ways, rightfully so, you could argue, you know, they are on the wrong side of history, blah, 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 blah. But I want to get to a place where those, that 30, 30% are not homophobic anymore and have, have, haven't got those views anymore. And if we just say, you know, you're all assholes because you voted no, 
that's not actually going to change those conf- you know those positions and there's it's a also little like kind of an awful way to just write off an entire section of the population yeah i think there's a genuine discussion as well about why people are voting no and what that actually yeah, means totally. because i think it is assumed automatically that it's always just reactionary or you know sort of bigoted or based on this religious thing Part of me also goes, well, yes, that's true, but also the reality is that things are changing in terms of acceptance of queer people very quickly, which is obviously a very good thing, but that also means that you have to sort of let people catch up at times. And that is something that I don't think we're doing anymore as a community. We're sort of saying, get on board or you're off the train forever kind Mm. of stuff. And that's particularly, I'm seeing that very clearly at the moment, whereas, you know, I'm seeing lots of people saying it's just absolutely never okay to vote no. If you vote no, you're a bigot and that's who you are and you're always a bigot. And even if you consider voting no, you're a bigot. Even if you want to have a discussion about this, you're a bigot. You just have to do it and that's it. And if you don't do it, then you're a bigot and then you're sort of out and I don't want you on my friends list anymore. Get fucked. I think that that's probably a nice point to segue into a bit of a... I think we haven't really talked much about marriage itself in this no, discussion. No, we haven't. <laughs> and it's a topic that that you and I... I don't know. I feel like we avoided it. We avoid it sometimes on the podcast because it is such a kind of ubiquitous topic. But I can't help but see a lot of this debate through the lens of respectability politics that not only does it bring out some of the worst impulses of the community in terms of the ways that we, as you were just saying, kind of write off people who we think are going to vote no... It also is this kind of, I think at least, a further push towards conservatism and increasing conservatism in queer communities. And I I think we see that in, like, you know, even though you said early on in this podcast that you feel like you're seeing discussions within the community about whether we want this and and what the kind of nature of marriage is and, and whether that's something we're all on board with, I think those conversations are still extremely hard to have within our Mm -hmm. communities. I I wrote something that I, for for Crikey, a, a political website a few days ago that I was extremely, extremely nervous about because it was me basically saying, you know, marriage is crap and respectability politics is bad. And even though I think we should vote yes and campaign for this, we should understand kind of what this means and and what this is doing to our communities. And so, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know quite what my point is here, but I think that's an important thing to keep in the background is, you know, what, what does the kind of what we're actually fighting for mean for us as a community through this process? First of all, I think everyone should go read Ben's article because it's excellent. But uh, I think that maybe the best example of what you're talking about was the the response to the first ad from the No campaign. So if people remember the first ad from the No campaign was the three mothers who were uh, complaining about the sort of gender ideology being taught in schools. And there was one mother who complained that her son was told that he could wear a skirt to school, you know, next year if he wanted to. And someone, one mother complained that, that kids are being taught to have role plays where they imagine that they're homosexual, that they're in a same-sex relationship, I think. Something along those lines. So this was, just, you know, this reactionary ad that came out and it's part of the No Campaign's real attempt to link this all with... Uh, safe schools in particular, and this sort of radical gender ideology that's being pushed onto kids. And it very much forms a, a good history of conservatives trying to say that we're, what, we're, what queers are trying to do is destroy child, you know, children. And what was interesting to me was the response to that. And there was two responses in particular that were quite 
telling. The first was an ad from Get Up, which involved a straight family, uh, of course, because there was no queerness involved in it at all. And it was this straight family talking about how their kids learn values from the ho- from at home. They'll be telling their kids th- that they're voting yes because this is about kindness and fairness. And it was a real sanitizing of the message. It was mm, a real gross. erasure of queer people. It was a real um, a, a process of throwing people who were gender fluid or trans under the bus because it was kind of like, well, it's okay for you to hate uh, gender ideology or trans people. That's okay, but this is not about that. So you can't do that in this instance. And there was another one, which was a parody video that was done. And it was like the same, like sort of same style of this uh, ad that the conservatives produced. And it was people talking about, uh, they were making the joke that this, that it was like the, the mother was like, my kid was told that if he came, to, he could come to next school next year as a big bird. And then there was like, you know, the kid turning up with a, you know, with a bird and he was like a trans, I guess, I don't know. There was the joke with it who was kind of like a mm. trans to bird type person. I don't know. It was kind of ridiculous. And again, it was a process of throwing trans kids under the bus, associating transgenderism with, with this sort of radical, this stupid idea of just becoming a bird one day and that you could do that. And it was sort of like trying to be funny, but also at the same time was making trans people look ridiculous. And that was really, really disappointing to me because it was very, both of those responses were very respectability politics based, were very based in this, these sorts of ideas that you're talking about and that you were talking about in your article. I think there were some positives that came from that as well, isn't it? We saw quite a strong pushback within the queer community about that as well. Um, so there's that debate that's happening. I do think that, that that's valuable and it's a debate we need to happen and maybe if this opens up some more of that debate and you know I've spoken on the podcast about the importance of queer communities having these debates yeah, uh, yeah. but you know whether that's actually going to you know how, how are we going to get to the end of this I don't know that leads nicely into a question that we got by email from a listener Lauren who emailed us at queerspodcast at gmail.com and you can do so too she asks has this stupid survey made you rethink your attitude to marriage is getting married now a political act even if the survey goes yes, how do we reconcile the vocal minority, I hope? No vote. And then she's got in parentheses, did you know 10% of people voted no in 1967? I think it hasn't changed our, my attitude to marriage. And I suspect that's probably the same for you, Ben, based on what, the conversation we just had. I think it has changed uh, my position on uh, the importance of the vote, which we've sort of discussed already, and I'd definitely be interested to hear people's views on that. I think in relation to marriage, I still certainly believe it's a conservative institution. I still certainly would, if you were to go back 10 years ago and be thinking about, you know, what's important for queer communities, I don't, I wouldn't have put marriage on the list at that point of time. But given where we're at, I think this has become an important moment. What I do fear and what we've just discussed is this potential that we get to a very conservative point by the end of this, a very respectable queer point, and that the whole campaign becomes about painting us as respectable queers, you know, that are palatable to the general population, or even worse, that are just palatable to the to, the, to a small minority of people that we're trying to get to vote. That worries me, and I think that that's something that we need to try and deal with over the time of the vote the next couple of months. I think the question, is getting married now a political act, kind of an interesting one, and, yeah. you know, weirdly, I agree with it, but perhaps not in the way that Lauren was sort of intending the question in that, like, I I think it's undeniable that the campaign for marriage equality has politicised marriage as a thing for queers in a way that, like, is is just quite significant. And, And I think for a lot of queers, getting married has become this political act, has become this kind of, this way to sort of go, like, God, I just, I feel like I know so many queers who are, 
engage and kind of, uh, I mean, I don't want to say using that as a platform, but but have that as a platform to say, Australia, you're homophobic because we're engaged and we can't get married until you pass this legislation. And that, for me, is something that is like the thing that I see that as kind of the biggest accelerant for respectability politics in a way that not only are we striving for this really conservative institution, we're framing it as radical. I agree with you. And I just have one extra point I want to add on to that. I also am worried that when it happens, it will stop becoming a political idea or maybe potentially more importantly, that it will be seen as the last political idea within queer communities. And so Mm. a really good example of this is during the big rally that happened in Sydney last week or a couple of weeks ago, there was one placard that was out uh, that was sort of shared around quite a bit. And it said, if Bill Shorten was Prime Minister, we could all be having brunch right now. So the idea being that, you know, if Bill Shorten was Prime Minister, the marriage equality would already have been passed. And so we wouldn't have to be, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to be protesting. We could all be sitting having brunch. And it was kind of like this idea, well, once we've got marriage, we don't have to be out protesting it on the street. We can just be having our private lives having brunch and enjoying our, our Sunday mornings. It sounds like that sign was probably written by a Labour hack. I'm sure. They, fair, I'm sure but... <laughs> it certainly was. But it sort of, to me, represented this idea that we just need to get marriage done and then we can stop fighting for things. And, you know, marriage is the last great political act of queer communities. And, I've, you know, and I've seen this as well. Like, I was at door knocking and there was a Labour hack there who gave a little spiel at beforehand. And he said something like, this is the great civil rights issue of our time. And I was like, I just don't agree with that. I think that there's actually a whole range of other issues that queer communities have to deal with. And the biggest fear is that we sort of get to the end, we go, we've achieved this great political victory. And then, you know, we're kind of done. And now we can go to our personal lives. And that being queer is no longer a political act or no longer considered a political thing because we're done. We've done that political action now. And now we can do, you know, do our personal lives and we can have brunch and we can get married and they can, you know, live lives just like everybody else. Totally. And it's not like there... Because there are a lot of queers and and have been, you know, for, for the entire kind of decade that this campaign's been going on now who are working on lots of other issues. That's That absolutely is happening all around absolutely, Australia. Yeah. I think the, the bigger... You know, the fear I have is not just that it will kind of depoliticize the queer community broadly. It's that any political support from inside or outside the queer community will evaporate from this. I mean, you can just kind of imagine political parties and, and the allies and the people, and I mean, don't mean allies in the kind of capital A allies sense, but the all the political capital that we've gained throughout the system will evaporate as politicians are saying, no, we've dealt with your issue, we need to move on to something else. And that is absolutely how politics works. When there's not broad support for that within queer communities either, it's just going to be so much harder to get anything else done afterwards, I fear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is that we'll potentially lose a whole lot of media interest in queer issues for quite a while because the media interest has been so wrapped up in same-sex marriage that once it's done, it'll be kind of done and that they'll move on to other things. I guess the, 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 the way to wrap that up is I think that there's a impetus therefore on queers to be thinking about how this can be a space for creating momentum rather than creating an end point. How can we see this as creating momentum for other things? And if you look at an example like Ireland, for example, it actually did do that. It created a whole range of momentum and Ireland has seen a whole range of legal changes in the social arena. So, for example, they're currently investigating abortion law, which has been a thing that came from the sort of momentum that that happened during Mm. the same-sex marriage vote. 
we've got to think about how we can make that happen because we don't want this to be like an end point. By the end of the year, we have same-sex marriage and people see that as, well, the queer issues have been dealt with. Thanks for the question, Lauren. If, like Lauren, you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in multiple ways via the internet. So we have an email address, which is uh, where Lauren sent her email. So thank you. And that's at queerspodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Queers Podcast and on Twitter at Queers Podcast. We also both have personal social media pages. Ben is on Twitter at Ben C. Riley, and I am on Twitter at Simon Copland and on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. If you're looking for the podcasts themselves, the easiest place to find them is on our website, which is queers.podomatic.com, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you do that, leave us a review and rating, which will help other people find us. And the best way that other people can find our podcast is if you tell them about it. Uh, So please tell your friends, tell your family, tell your work colleagues, tell everybody you know about our podcast, share our links on social media. It would all be really appreciated. Thanks as always for listening and we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Looking forward to it.